Lesson number three of financial stewardship, prodigality, part one. This, we're going to cover this for two or three lessons, prodigality, or as we understand the prodigal son. And uh, we've taught this now for four or five years in a row. And I want us to really understand what the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal is all about. When we hear the term prodigal, we think about someone who goes and just sleeps around. We have come to uh, erroneously and ignorantly believe that a prodigal is someone who lives like a frat boy or a harlot. And, and honestly, the Bible doesn't use the term prodigal or the prodigal son. That's the term theologians give this. But we're going to study what prodigality and profligacy is. But let me give you our two quotes that we're giving every class just so you catch it and you hear it. Our first quote is, is that without uh, financial stewardship, without a budget, your life will never prosper as God intended it to. Without a budget, without a lifestyle of budgeting, your life is never going to prosper as God intended it to. That means a time budget. Without a time budget, you're never going to prosper as God intended you to. You know, God's called you to do things and he's only given you enough time to do them. So you don't have enough time in your life to do everything God's asked you to and everything the world's asked you to. And as we know in this day and age, this generation is getting faster and faster. It's fulfilling Daniel's prophecy. Knowledge abounds. People are going to and fro. The world is designed and speeding up so that you don't have the time to obey God. And every one of us falls into that. We have to constantly pull out of that ditch and constantly pull out of that ditch. Good thing for you, preaching, the preachers like the rumble strips on the side of the interstate. When you start to get out of balance and go and cross over in that ditch, it goes, and your life gets rough. You're like, man, why has you got to preach so hard? Because you're heading for a ditch. Amen. There's not enough time in your day or in your life to do everything God wants you to do and the world wants you to do. So you have to decide who you're going to serve, God or mammon. Because you can't, like Elijah asked Israel, how long will you be crippled between two opinions? Halt. How long will you be pulled between two opinions? So you have to really get a hold of a time budget because, you know, the world wants you to binge watch television. If you're a TV binge watcher, don't complain when your life is miserable. Amen. Because God does not give you the time to binge watch television every day. There's, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of downtime, you know, once a week. But when you got to have downtime every day, down from what? Down from more down? Seriously, we're, we're really deluded in this lazy culture of ours. You have to have a budget for your body, calories. If you don't have a calorie budget, you will be obese. Amen. And there's enough to be, there's a lot to be said on that. And then of course, as we're talking, you have to have a financial budget. Anything you don't budget, you will squander. And anything you squander will not prosper. And anything you squander, God will not bless. How can God bless your body if you're squandering it? How can God bless your time if you're squandering it? How can God bless your money if you're squandering it? So our first critical quote that I'm going to give you every week is that without a budget, you will not prosper as God intended you. He will do his best to help you, but he's not going to bless or endorse irresponsibility. He's going to train it and improve it to do better. Once he's trained irresponsibility to do better and proven irresponsibility can do better and it does better, then God will begin to promote and bless again. We have as much as God trusts us with. We have as much as God trusts us with. We have in our life as much as God trusts us with. Because he opens up his hand and satisfies every living need. Now, my other quote is, and the Lord gave this to me last week in prayer, 
there comes a time when you must master money if you ever intend to excel in life. There comes a point when you've, you've either, you're either going to master it or you're not. And until you do, you will not excel in life. There comes a point when you must master money. And by master money, I don't mean master card or master spending it. I mean master it as a tool. You master saving it, you master using it, you master interest, you master a budget. It, it is not controlling you, you're controlling it. And it's an extension of you to accomplish something. Until you master money, you will be in poverty your entire life. It's a, it is an unfortunate shame that we live in the richest nation ever known to mankind. And yet we have folks who will live and die in poverty in this nation. Poverty is not a dollar amount. Poverty is a teetotal mindset. And so until you master money, you can come from a rich family. Until you master money, you'll be broke. You'll always have money, but it'll always just blow through your life. And you'll squander it. So that's kind of the heart of why we're teaching all of this. To help us advance. To use money, but not be used by money. To, I, was, I was just counseling with a, a young couple. I said, look, you guys are going to make making great money. But God doesn't have you in this country to be rich just to squander it like Paris Hilton. God has you in this country to make a lot of money. To put it in the kingdom to win the loss. That's why we've been given, given wealth. David and Solomon were filthy rich. And yet they used it to promote God. Amen. Solomon's temple, probably the most expensive project ever undertaken in the history of mankind. David himself gave over a billion dollars of personal gold to the project. That doesn't count the gold out of the, the church's treasury or the, the temple treasury. That doesn't count the silver. That doesn't count the bronze. That doesn't count the iron. doesn't count the timber. That's a billion dollars to build a temple out of David's personal treasury before he died. And that was at 2002 gold standard levels of about 280 an ounce. Now we're at about 1,200 an ounce. So it's 10 times more excuse me, six times more. So maybe six billion in personal gold. And yet Solomon built it and it was a testimony to the entire world of Jehovah God. Not to live like a king, not to be fat and squander, but to promote Jehovah, a representation of what's in heaven. When you got streets of gold in heaven, what's six billion in gold to build a temple? Amen. And I'll remind you, the Bible tells us in Chronicles and in the, uh, Second Samuel, excuse me, Kings, that the entire inside of the Holy of Holies was solid gold or gold, beaten gold. You walked into the Holy of Holies, it was gold top to bottom because it represented the glory of God. Amen. So enough of that. God wants us to master money so that it doesn't master us. It's one of the few things Jesus said can pull you away from God as far as you can't serve God and mammon. So we have to be careful of it. So there comes a point you must master money if you ever ex expect to excel in life. And until you do, money will always be your hindering and tripping block. Until you master money, you'll never go anywhere. Now, I said last week, and it's worth pointing out again, many, many, many millionaires have mastered money. Anybody who's a millionaire, unless they inherit it, has mastered money. And many millionaires bankrupt themselves doing the money thing. And then a month later, they're a millionaire again. Why? Because they've mastered money. Now, on the other hand, in this day of political climate, when we have all this godless political talk of wealth redistribution and taking from those that work hard and giving it to people who do nothing, the, the philosophical and uh, economic observation is, even if in America we redistributed everybody's billions and millions and hundreds of thousands to the lowest poor, and everybody tomorrow was set and we all had a million dollars in each of our accounts. 
in one week, the billionaires would be billionaires again and the poor would be poor again. Is that right? You know exactly that to be the truth. Do you know why? Because the poor have not been taught nor wrapped their mind around mastering money. And the rich have. You don't punish the wealthy because they work hard. You punish the poor for being lazy. Now, that's not a very PC statement. And thank God I'm not called to be politically correct or a politician, but it's the accurate truth. You know, in my house growing up, my brother and I were raised by the same parents, obviously. And uh, my brother has a tremendous knack for money. Mom would give him 10 bucks and give me 10 bucks. His 10 bucks would be added to the 180 he had in his piggy bank. My 10 bucks would be blown on G.I. Joe before the sun went down. <laughs> Consequently, I had a bigger G.I. Joe collection than him. And he had more money than me. And today he's a banker. Let's go figure. <laughs> and today I have Amanda. And, and she helps me master money. <laughs> All right. Let's go on with our lesson here. A steward must be found faithful. Faithful stewards don't waste their master's belongings. You know, if, if you're poor, let me throw this out there. I, when I graduated college, I made six seventy-five an hour at Lowe's. So a college degree doesn't make you rich. Hard work does. Proverbs says, in all labor, there's profit. Not in every college degree, there's profit. You can get lots of degrees and be broke. And six seventy-five an hour, even in 1999, didn't go very far at all. And I'm honored to say that you could never tell I was below the poverty level. And I'm honored to say uh, that I ate poor on my way to being better. I'm, I'm honored to say I have ramen noodle type testimonies where I ate SpaghettiOs, except I ate the, uh, the Walmart Wheelios. 33 cents a can as opposed to 99 cents a can. Can't tell the difference. Same amount of sodium. <laughs> Bananas, 33 cents a pound. Bagels, $1.50 for six until it was $1.50 for five until they didn't sell them anymore at Walmart. If you don't have money, you can't afford to eat fancy. But the reason you will is because your God is your belly. And you'll always throw money at your God. So it's, uh, if you're poor, if you're struggling financially, you're not entitled to fancy meals. You're not entitled to filet. You're not entitled to, to steak. If you're poor, you've got other things to feed, not your belly, not your face, not your entertainment habits. That doesn't make any kind of wisdom or sense. If you're poor, if you're struggling financially, you pay the rent so you have a place to sleep. You pay the electricity so you don't freeze to death or sweat to death. You put gas in the car so you can get to work. You put money aside for maintenance on the car so it doesn't break down on you and you have to blow money on a taxi. You don't waste money on entertainment. Nothing in the Bible says you must have entertainment. It says having food and raiment let us therewith be content. Not entertainment and TiVo and Dish Network and Netflix and, and an iPad and a cell phone and iPhone 6 and, and, and an Xbox and a PS4. People in America, there's a reason we're the richest yet the most broke nation in human history. Even our government is totally retarded in this regard. All those smartsy people up there on Capitol Hill, bunch of retards when it comes to fiscal responsibility. Amen. I'm trying to help you with financial stewardship. <laughs> 
And so if you're poor, you should have a ramen noodle testimony. We were talking about the Vincents yesterday. We had dinner with their daughters and we take a tour of their, uh, the, the girl's townhome. And I said, can you believe the Vincents raised six kids in a two bedroom apartment? Because three bedroom apartment, well, that's not even that much better. <laughs> six kids, mom and dad, three bedroom apartment, living beneath their means, knocking out debt. Yeah. That's part of their testimony. And now if you've ever been to the house, not a three-bedroom apartment. You can fit like nine three-bedroom apartments in their house because they live beneath their means and they have a testimony and they're not there anymore. But folks who refuse to have a testimony will always stay without a testimony and they'll always stay in the same place. You have to be willing to make the sacrifice, exercise self-control, eat ramen noodles. Don't try to keep up with your parents. They've spent 40 years getting to where they're at. You'll spend 40 years going nowhere. You have to master money. You have to be a faithful steward if you expect God to give you more. I don't expect to have everything my parents have, not even after being out of college almost 20 years now. I don't expect to have everything my parents have. They've been doing this for much longer than me. So we have to, we have to use wisdom. And one thing America really lacks is wisdom in everything. We lack probably two things the most, wisdom and self-control. We blow our money, we run our mouth, we feed our face, and we do it all recklessly and want the government to bail us out, or God. And so we have to be more responsible than any and all of this. All right, let's move on. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. This is what the Bible says very clearly. If we're going to be good stewards, and this, this whole curriculum is all about stewardship, We must be found faithful. If we're going to be a steward, we must be found faithful. Faithfulness means you take everything God gives you. That's your paycheck. That's your packet of ramen noodles. That's the water you're drinking out of the tap. Do you know, if you can't afford to put gas in your car, you can't afford bottled water. Do you know bottled water costs more than gas? Did you know bottled water costs more than gas? (laughs) How foolish are we? And we do bottled water. How foolish are we? to buy bottled water when it comes out of our tap for free. Bottled water out of the vending machine is a dollar for 16 ounces. Gasoline is a dollar 83 a gallon. And yet we'll spend a dollar to put water in our mouth and we can't afford to put gas in our tank. Years ago, I was friends with a dentist, and this is in the 90s. He said, when bottled water became popular, we watched cavities shoot through the roof because nobody was drinking fluoridated water anymore. So now, because you can't put gas in your tank, but you put bottled water in your mouth, you also rot your teeth out. I think fluoridated water is one of the few things federal government did smart to help us with our teeth. All right, you guys are awfully quiet and stuffy and stoic. Think about it. Next time you complain about gas prices, you're paying about five times more for water when you buy it at the store. All right. Boy, if it's going to be this dead, maybe we'll put a video in. You want to watch VeggieTales or something? What is a prodigal? Apparently we are this morning, Lord, prodigal. Here's what a prodigal is. Someone who wastes money or resources is called a prodigal. This is, this is the straight dictionary definition of a prodigal. Technically, a prodigal is not someone who leaves home and lives like the devil. That on a technicality is not a prodigal. 
Now, in Christian circles, when we talk about the prodigal son, that's what we assume. And I always make the altar call for the prodigal, and I'm fishing for the devil or the kid that lives like one. But technically, if you look up the word prodigal, it's not someone who leaves home and lives like the devil. Technically, a prodigal is someone who wastes money and resources. In that regard, Washington, D.C. is prodigal. The federal government is prodigal. Amen. So here's some definitions. Prodigality, out of the dictionary. Spending money or resources recklessly. Squandering resources. Extravagant and lavish living. Now you say, well, pastor, I don't live extravagant or lavish. If you make eight bucks an hour and you're drinking Coca-Cola every meal and you're eating steaks every meal and you can't put gas in your tank, you're living lavish because you're living beyond your means. Now we think lavish is like Hollywood. We think lavish is like the Sultan of Dubai or or Brunei or, or the Arabs, you know, when the Arabs get all their oil money and they silver plated Audi TT. We think that's lavish. You can't afford bottled water if you can't afford to tithe. You can't afford soda pop, even the cheap stuff, Sam's choice, if you can't afford to tithe. Because you don't need soda pop to live. You just need water. And it would do your kidneys and your diabetes and your teeth a whole lot more good not to mention your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your obesity. It would do all of it good if you drank tap water. Amen. Isn't it amazing how the devil has programmed us as Christians? We think we have to have soda pop. We think we have to have bottled water. We think we have to have meat in the form of steak. They make meat in the form of potted meat. You get protein out of government nut butter. You don't even know what nuts are in that nut butter. They don't call it peanut butter. That'd be false advertising. And since when is the federal government worried about false advertising? But government, I only know about government nut butter because I lived in this 110-year-old farmhouse in college and we moved in and kind of stocking our pantries, we opened the drawers and there was this huge tin of, said, U.S. government nut butter. Really? You know, is this a joke? But it was army surplus or welfare surplus and it was called nut butter. We never opened it. We just left it for the next tenant. It's probably still there. <laughs> it never goes bad. It'll go in the rapture with the rest of us. Prodigal. Here's the adjective. Spending money or resources freely and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant. Wastefully extravagant. That's prodigal. And here's a synonym, profligacy. I like this word because nobody knows it. Profligacy. It's fun to say profligacy, recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the use of resources, wasteful in the use of resources, wasteful in the use of resources, wasteful in the use of resources. Do you know why some of us have trouble getting out of debt? Because we are wasteful in the use of resources. Nothing wrong with bottled water if you can afford it. Nothing wrong with soda pop if you can afford it. Nothing wrong with filet or steak or chicken every night of the week if you can afford it, if your body can handle it. But if you can't, quit trying to live that way. Use some wisdom. Because you can keep feeding your face and stuffing your gourd full of stuff, but you'll just be broke the rest of your life. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs that if you be a man given to appetite, put a knife to your throat. 
The Bible does not promise you filet, nor does it say you deserve it. The Bible does demand and command stewardship. God wants to give us nice things, but he wants to prove us. He wants to make sure we're responsible first. This story that we're about to read here of the prodigal son, the great sin was not that he lived with whores or harlots. We don't even see that he did that. It just says riotous living. The great sin is that he wasted all of his father's money. Now, we evangelists and good old Southern Baptists, and we've preached this all about living like the devil. And it's true. But technically, you distill this parable down. He lived like the devil by wasting his dad's money. And that's every one of us. Amen. I was a little convicted, not too much. I had to really balance my heart with it. You know, we recently got a bigger vehicle. We got a Honda Pilot. And, uh, you know, with two kids and everything we do, we, we just needed a new car. And the dealership, I'm friends with the, uh, the store uh, manager over there, the dealership manager. And so they gave us a, a really awesome deal. And at the same time, I'm about to sign, you know, to buy this Honda Pilot. Scudder in Africa is believing God for transmission. And that really tore me up. I mean, it really, really pulled on me. And I thought, Lord, here Scudder is, needs a transmission for a Subaru, and I'm about to buy a brand new Honda Pilot. It's not going to cost me anything extra a month on my car payment. We can easily afford the car payment. But Lord, Scudder needs a transmission. What am I? And it really tore me up for a couple. I mean, I was really weighing, do we just postpone this? You know, do I buy Scudder a transmission? Because I probably got the money to if I wanted to. But it, it really gnawed at me because I want to make sure I'm a steward of everything God gives me. And there's nothing that says I have to come first. And that the thing that probably pacified me a little bit was that then the next day, my pastor sent me a letter saying, we're building an addition onto our ministry to accommodate ministers. I need half a million dollars. And I said, I need 70000 to pay off my kid's wing. So here I need 70000 but he needs half a million. And I realized it's all relative. Everybody's got needs. God is the supply. Your heart has to always be ready to judge yourself and scrutinize yourself and say, I don't have to have this. What, was, what does God want me to do with it? What does God want me to do? You don't have to have the soda pop. You don't have to have the filet every meal. You don't have to have the nicest of everything every time it comes out. Have you ever thought about putting God first or at least getting yourself out of your hole? The first thing you need to do if you're broke is get out of your hole. Learn to put a, put a knife to your spending habits and control your, your, your appetite there. Not everybody's a porn addict. Some people are a credit card addict. Not everybody's a dope addict. Some folks are a spending addict. And it's until you master this, you're not going anywhere. God won't promote you. A business won't hire you until you master what little bit you have. The six seventy-five an hour I made until I mastered that, built a budget, and learned to tithe on it. And ten and a half percent, because he, I walked into the mailbox one day there off of Seventh uh, uh, Street. He, I was walking in the mailbox. The Lord said, "Up your giving to ten and a half percent." I said, "Lord, I can't even afford ten percent." But there He stretched me to point five. Until you master that, you go nowhere. This explains why Christians can be born again, spirit-filled, in a good word church and stay at the same level of life till they die. And because and they never make a heart change. Stewardship is a condition of the heart. When you want it bad enough, you'll learn the skill set. The skill set will just come to you. 
That's why we teach on this from a biblical perspective and not an analytical, this is how you build a budget. This, we, don't, we don't do that. My job is to put a faith in you that makes you so hungry for it, you go out and figure out how to do it yourself. You go pioneer it. You go study the books. You take a class. You get under, under somebody who's a good accountant. All right, I'm really wasting. I'm not wasting. I'm spending a lot of time hammering. Licentious. I don't think I ever want to be called licentious. I look at the first four letters and it's lice. And I don't have anything to do with that. Licentious. <laughs> In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told a parable about a son who ran away from home and lived sinfully. This son is always called the prodigal son. Because of this parable, we have come to believe a prodigal is someone who leaves his or her father's home in order to sin and live like the devil. This is technically not a prodigal. A prodigal is someone who wastes resources. A prodigal is someone who wastes resources, period. What did this son do? Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. Give me my inheritance. And what did he do with the money? He wasted it. However, as is often the case, these resources are wasted on sinful living. For example, pornography, cigarettes, alcohol, prostitution, overeating. Do you realize overeating is a waste of money? They say the average American only needs 2,000 calories a day to live. Any calorie over that is wasted money. Isn't it money the Scudders could use on the mission field? Isn't it money we could put in the iCultures in Thailand? Isn't it money we could put towards the kids' wing? Isn't it money we could, we could put towards publishing? Sure it is. And I'm not saying, you know, starve yourself. But here in America, so much stuff pulls away from our, our stewardship. It pulls away from our self-control. And Paul said, I have to keep my body under. Till the day your body dies, you're going to be fighting the thing. And everybody's self-control is lacking in different areas. Let's read this parable. Luke 15, 11 through 16 and verse 18. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me. I underline that for emphasis. Give me. See how selfish that is? Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, in the Hebrew culture, uh, one theologian, one commentary pointed out, by him going to his dad and saying, give me my inheritance, he said, I wish you were dead. I don't want to submit to you. I don't want you in my life. For him to ask for his inheritance early, he's basically saying, I wish you were dead. It's totally dishonorable. He doesn't want to submit. He doesn't want to honor. He doesn't want to serve. He wants to do what he wants to do. And it sounds like a lot of Christians. I don't want to have to submit to God. I don't want to have to answer to him. I don't want to have him give me my little portion day by day as I need. I want it all at once because I'm unhappy. Give me my portion that falls to me and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance. Notice that's, that's why the theologians of 200 years ago called him the prodigal. He wasted the substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, which, of course, in the Jewish context is abominable. We don't have anything quite the equivalent. Swine are so filthy to the Jews, just disgusting. You know, there was actually a huge a theological dissertation on why, were there, why was there a pig farmer 
in Decapolis that the gathering demoniac could even go into. They're debating, were these Jews breaking the law? Was there a bootleg market for pork? Why was there a pig farm with 2,000 swine on a hillside in Israel? Their theologians have debated that. I guess they had nothing better to do. I guess they'd want everybody to Christ in their town, so let's debate why there's pigs on a hillside in Israel. In Decapolis, happened to be named Greek, the 10 cities. Maybe because of a Greek influence? I can solve that in five minutes. Let's go win somebody now. Whatever. And he would feign, that means faint, if he didn't fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. See, we're not supposed to give to poverty when it's self-induced, when it's foolishness. I'm not against welfare, but welfare is a hand up. It's not ever meant to be a way of life. I'm all for helping people. I really, really, it bugs me when people want me to pay their electric bill. Especially when they smoke, when they smell like alcohol, and when I know they waste their money. It really bugs me because this ain't welfare. We call it benevolence. And I'm, I'm, I'm commanded to take care of the orphan. We don't have any. The widow, we take care of our widows. That's really it in the New Testament. I told one family they were wanting me to pay their utilities for like the 15th time or something. It, was, it wasn't 50, it was like third time. And I said, I, I said, all right, you come to my office, you meet with me. And I said, I'm gonna give you this money, but this is pathetic. You need a budget. And I said, on top of that, you're a tithe thief. You rob God. You don't even put enough money in this church for me to pay your, your electric bill with. And I said, so I'm gonna give you this money, but this is the last time I'm paying your bill and you better come to church Sunday morning with an offering for God in your hand. I don't even care if it's five bucks, but you're gonna honor your God. Yes, sir. And they've never asked for me money since. And I don't think they've ever gotten their money right with God either. I don't believe in welfare. I believe in stewardship. No man gave unto him. It's a smart country. And you know, when you stop giving to poor people, they decide to do something for themselves. So this is what he says. He said, the Bible says he came to himself. I will arise. No man gave unto me. You know what? I think I'll get up and do better. I will arise and go to my father. It humbled him. Sometimes when we give to the poor, we're just enablers. I will go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. By starving this guy out, he repented. I'm not gonna feed rebellion. I'm gonna starve it out and let them come to themselves. And notice he realized I have sinned against God and I've sinned against you. All right, so let's go through this. I'm enjoying teaching this. Theologians called this son a prodigal because he wasted and squandered all the resources his father had given him and had nothing to show for it. Let me ask you guys this. Do you have anything to show for your last 20 years? Or have you lived the same level of life? Do you have anything to show? I'm not talking about mansions. I'm talking about have you done something for God? Have you financed the gospel? Have you bought a home? Do you provide for your kids? Are you prospering in your business? Do you have favor? Or, or do you have nothing to show because you keep wasting it? God gives you something, but you have nothing to show for it every year. We're not talking about measuring it by material goods, but the impact you're making. Because the Lord can call you to give everything away like the Scudders. The Scudders have nothing to show for their life in America, fiscally or financially, but they do have everything to show because they're in the mission field now. They've sold their home. They've preached the gospel for two and a half years in Africa. They have a lot to show up, but just not materialistically. The prodigal is, 
is not, a prodigal is not someone who lives like the devil. A prodigal, by definition, is a squanderer. They squander God's resources. And we as Americans are very good at squandering what God gives us. So our next section here, how to be a prodigal. Let's learn how to be a prodigal so we can undo it in our own life. These points are taken from the previous verses. Number one, how to be a prodigal. And you're going to see, as we march along through this, we're going to see how much we are like prodigals. Number one, we're all here. Receive the substance from your father. Every one of us has received substance from our father. You're wearing it. You're driving it. You're living in it. You're going to eat it for lunch. You're going to get a paycheck. That's substance from your father. So right now, we're all one step towards being a prodigal. But at any given moment, we can exit this highway. Everybody's in this first thing. Each of us has received from the Lord, just like the son in the parable, we received because we have asked. Lord, I need a job. Lord, I want a baby. You know, you can be a prodigal with your kids and just waste them. Lord, I I need a house. Lord, I need an apartment. Lord, I need engine repair. Lord, I need tire repair. Uh, Lord, I I could use some new clothing. Uh, Lord, I, I need some new eyeglasses. The Lord provides us substance. Number two, gather all the substance to yourself. All right, how many of us are here? Step number two, these are all points taken from the parable of the prodigal. We're talking about how to be a prodigal. Gather all the substance to yourself. Stingy. We are tempted to hoard and stockpile our stuff, either out of fear of famine and lack, or so we might consume it upon ourselves. This is selfish and stingy. Let me just say, from my personal opinion, I don't believe in prepping. I am not a prepper. I have family members that are preppers. I believe it's a fear thing. I have no problem with, you know, being prepared for if the lights go out and you got candles and flashlights and whatever and, and a sleeping bag. I understand that. And, and, you know, we have tornadoes that come through, but it's not, if you lived in the hurricane or the, vol, uh, the volcano or volcano or a tornado, you know, you might want to have stuff to go a couple of days without electricity if the roads are down. My, my family grew up in Louisiana. They had hurricanes every season. You know, we haven't had a hurricane since 2005. Thought global warming was supposed to give us 20 Katrinas a year. Or did God just dry that up because the, the, the scientists thought they were God? We haven't had a hurricane since 2005. That's 10 years without a single hurricane. Unprecedented. But that's global warming's fault too. If there's a lot, it's global warming's fault. If there's none, it's global warming's fault. And that's modern science that we're supposed to trust and believe. There's no bias there. No. That's sci- it's scientifically sound. <laughs> And nothing wrong with having something, but, but I was talking with one family member and they were talking about, you know, when it, when it all goes down, the best thing to barter in is gun clips. And you need probably 15 to 20 gun clips of every caliber. And, and then you need ammo. Ammo will be a good thing you can barter in. And then gold. You got to have some gold doubloons. And because when this thing goes down, I said, when this thing goes down, I don't plan to be here. And even if I am because my doctrine's not sound, I can jump out of my little window and shoot a shotgun or an AR-15 at that UN tank. And that's going to last one round. And then all the diesel I've stockpiled and all the tuna fish I've stockpiled and all the batteries and bottled water that's cost more than gasoline ain't going to matter nothing because they just blew me away with a tank. <laughs> yeah. Or on the other hand... I, and I told, I told this, uh, this individual this. I said, I'm a pastor. Even if I stockpile food and it all goes down, James is going to command me to give my food to everybody around me because it says if you have and your brother has need and you don't give to him, you're a sinner. Yeah. 
And I said, so I can stockpile and prep like a freak on television, but my Bible's gonna call me a sinner for withholding it. And I said, so I can hoard all that up and have to give it away all at once, or I can just enjoy it now and expect God to feed me like the ravens. Amen. So, gather all your substance to yourself. Proverbs says, there is he that giveth and yet increases. There is he that withholds more than is proper and it tends to poverty. You ever seen the TV show Hoarders? They think their junk will bring them joy and they just keep stockpiling and stockpiling because one day I might want to read this magazine again. This is a collector's edition magazine and so do 350,000 other people think it's a collector's edition. It's never going to be worth anything. Brother Sumrall would say, some of you, you're sitting on so much junk, you call it heirlooms. He said, if you'd sell that junk, we could win the world to Jesus tonight with all the junk you call family heirlooms. You take it out once a year and you say, oh, how pretty it is. And then you put it back in the drawer and shut it up. That's hoarding. All right. Gather all your substance to yourself. Point two, this is selfish and stingy. Point three, take your father's substance and withdraw from church to do your own thing. Now, you can still go to church, but be withdrawn from it. Just to throw it out there, because I'm stomping on money, I did get the reports of all of us that gave towards the kids' wing. I keep all that private because some of you would make a lynch mob if you know who didn't give anything. This church spent a year talking about building, planning, preparing to remodel, gut, and finish our kids' wing so we could do the Bible and raise up a generation of young disciples to go further than us. And there are some folks in our church that took their stuff that God gave them and went home and played with it, with it and didn't build the kingdom. And I'm still expected to disciple their kids with it. And I will, because eventually stupid learns to obey God and rebellion learns to submit and God was merciful to me once when I was ignorant and stupid. But this is prodigality. God gives you money. You don't contribute to what God's doing. Shameful. Amen. All right, this is preaching a little harder. Ah, it, we need it. God freely gives to us so we might glorify him and finance the gospel and even enjoy our stuff with him. God is not financing our rebellion or running away from him as America has done. We're bankrupted. We're broke as a nation because this nation is taking money and using it to run from God. When you do that, God dries it up. Number four, waste your father's substance on riotous living. In the original Greek, riotous means reckless abandon, waste, squander, wildest extravagance. Even the word riotous doesn't mean sex. Even the word riotous does not imply alcohol. It means to waste it. Maybe he was. Maybe he was buying prostitutes. Maybe he was throwing frat beer parties. We don't know. Maybe he just lived high on the hog and entertained in the social circles till that money ran out. It does not mean a wild life of debauchery, fornication, and drunkenness. It also means wasting money on foolish things. The simple English Bible translates this verse as, and there he wasted his money like a fool. That, that's America. I don't mean to bash our nation, but my job as a preacher is to bring light to the problems. We've all wasted money like a fool. We, we've all uh, just spent it on something we didn't need because we thought it would make us happy in the moment. And when you live a life like that, you become a prodigal. We've all made bad deals. Uh, my wife, yesterday, she went back to Walmart because she went grocery shopping on Friday and realized she didn't come home with a whole bag of groceries. 
the whole bag of groceries might have been eight or nine bucks. She said, wait a minute, I don't have the sweet potatoes. I don't have the Jake Neverland Pirate Band-Aids that Lydia wanted. I don't have this. So she took the receipt back, and, and I guess we got it back. I haven't heard. But in her stewardship, she said, look, I, uh, I want the groceries I didn't get. Because the checkout girl obviously maybe gave the bag of groceries to the lady in front or the lady behind. So either way, we're out nine bucks. Nine bucks is nothing for us. But stewardship says it's God's, and I'm not paying for this twice. And I got to imagine if it's happened to us, it's happened a million times before. Just come home missing a bag of groceries. Stewardship says, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not just going to waste it. Let me go do something about this. When I bought the pilot, and because I've become buds with the guy over there, I said, all right, last time I bought a car from you, you gave me an aerofoil on the front and rubber mats in the back. What are you giving me this time? <laughs> Seriously, Reverend? Yeah, what are you giving me this time? Oh, I was supposed to sign this thing. I said, what's this? He said, well, that's where uh, the manager will come and sign if he's giving you any add-ons. I said, these are blank. He said, well, apparently he doesn't want to give you any add-ons. I said, he's going to. I said, call him in here. So he comes in there. I said, okay, which add-on? I said, I'm trading in my CRV. It has an airfoil and I put rubber mats in there and the back mat. He said, yeah, but I gave you the back mat. I said, but not the front mats. So you're getting more out of me. What do you give me? He said, what do you want? I said, I either want, what did I, what did I say? I, want, I either want rubber storm mats or I want the airfoil in the front. She said, he said, well, one or the other. I can't give you both. I said, I want rubber floor mats. Fine, write it. I got me, you know, $400 rubber floor mats because nothing's ever cheap from Honda. It's five bucks to inject, 400 bucks to buy. Anyway, you know, stewardship says, give me more because I ain't paying anymore. You got to be shrewd. There's a reason Jews are Jews because they understand this. This is God. You know, we make fun of them. It becomes a racial stereotype, but they have to answer to God and they know it. We're just American. We're disposable. And there's more government money where that came from. In our nation, we reward laziness. We reward fornication. And we're taking it from those that work hard and giving it to those that don't earn it or deserve it. Boy, this is preaching good. There he wasted his money like a fool. Number five, begin to be in want and look to the world for help. This is how you can tell you're a prodigal. You're looking to the world for help. You're in want and you look to the world. You're in want and you look to the world. You're in want and you look to the world to help you because a stewardship of God doesn't look to the world. He'll look to God first if the God says, go get food stamps and that's what you do. But Lord, I'm coming off of them. I'm not living here the rest of my life. He looks to God first. He says, what have I done to be in want? What have I, how did I get here? We fall into lack because we've wasted our substance like a fool. Many times people begin looking immediately to the world for help. Number six, wonder why no one will help you. Now, I am pressured as a Christian and a reverend and a clergy and a man of the cloth, and I've been not cussed but chewed out so many times. You call yourself a Christian, you won't give me any money? I don't know you and you smell like booze. I don't owe you a dime. <laughs> they... they they want to tell me to help dumb. I have a rule. We don't give folk money to folks who smell like cigarettes. You're paying five bucks for cigarettes and I'm supposed to pay your cable bill? Not happening. And how come all of a sudden it's due today? Didn't you get the bill 30 days ago? Didn't you not know 60 days ago another bill's going to become due 30? But you haven't stopped smoking. 
I know this sounds cold and callous, but that's because this nation's a disciple of Queen Oprah. Six, wonder why no one will help you. No one had pity on the prodigal, and neither should we. We pray for them, we teach them, but you have to let people hit bottom and come to their senses. You don't just throw money at prodigality, it doesn't fix it. It's like throwing cigarettes at a cancer patient. Why would you do that? It's like throwing matches to a pyro. A prodigal destroys things with money. A pyro destroys things with matches. You don't give them what they destroy with. Apparently, he wasn't even paid for slopping the hogs because he had to eat their food. Notice he joined himself to them just to eat what they had. He wasn't paid, otherwise he'd have food to eat with, or money to eat with. No one should give to a prodigal. After all, who wants to invest in stupid? Maybe I should say irresponsible. Number seven, here's how you come out of being a prodigal. Come to your senses. Go home to father's house and repent for being a bad steward over his substance. God is always waiting for us to return home to him. He will receive us, forgive us, and help us to do better with his substance. Prodigality is as great a sin as any other. Though the prodigal committed several sins, greed, selfishness, rebellion, unthankfulness, abandoning the family, wasting money, possibly fornication. The the prodigal's brother accuses him of devouring the money on harlots. But I ask, how did he know? He went to a foreign country. How do you know he devoured it on harlots? Did you send somebody to spy on him? Did he tell you? How, How do you know? Or is this just a false accusation? Is he just accusing his brother? The emphasis of the parable is on running from the father and wasting his money. The emphasis of this parable, no matter how you shake a stick at it, is on running from the father and wasting his substance. We don't want to be anything like this. We want the Lord to help us to get a hold of our spending habits, our purse buying habits, our food habits. There there are certain stores in town you can buy groceries really cheap. I don't mind eating cheap food. I was a geologist and I ate sardines on job sites to save money. I learned to eat sardines. I love sardines now. I like King Edwards in olive oil, the whole ones, not just the fish steaks. I can eat all of it. I can eat it on crackers. I like the mustard. I like the Louisiana hot sauce. I like the King Edwards whole sardines. I can do it all. And I was making good money as a geologist because I don't have a pride about food. Now, I will not touch Vienna sausage. I use it as cat bait. Even the cats say, no, no, I'm not going there. There's a dead possum over here I'll go eat before I eat that sardine, that, that Vienna sausage. <laughs> the father has the last say in this parable. And look at this. Of particular interest is how he described his money squandering son. This your brother was dead and is alive and was lost and is found. The subject of the parable is wasting God's money and the father says it makes you dead and lost. That's how critical money is. If you don't master money, you'll never go anywhere in life. You, where you're at right now, until you get a better grip of money, this is where you'll be when your grandbabies are born and they bury you. We don't want to be here. We want to advance. There's no reason why we can't continue to advance in the kingdom. Abraham continuously advanced to the day he died. And they've pointed out he was probably a thousand times more rich as a nomad than he was as a wealthy businessman of the Chaldees because God was constantly increasing him. He had mastered money. He knew how to turn a profit no matter where he went. 
until we do that, there, it, what the sad thing is, and I don't want us to get to, I don't want this to be our testimony, that we have been afforded the privilege of being born in the wealthiest nation ever known to human existence, and yet some of us can live poor our entire life and not even care. We've not been born here to live and die poor. We've been born here to make wealth so that God, according to Deuteronomy 8, might establish his covenant with mankind to preach the gospel. And we get to enjoy it along the way, but we don't dam it up and we don't hoard it up and we certainly don't consume it when we can't afford to. Amen? I know it's been a little bit of a tougher Sunday school, but I don't know. God's kind of fervent about this thing. Amen? Father, thank you for blessing our Sunday school. Help us, Lord, to not be prodigals. Help us to not waste your stuff. May Father, we know you want us to enjoy things and you give us all things richly to enjoy, but may it always be on our heart, in the back of our mind, what can I do for God with this money? Do I really need to buy this trinket, this toy, or, or should I do something else with it? May we submit all of our money to you, Lord, and honor you with it. Bless our understanding in these series of teachings. In Jesus' name, amen.